This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming here um, and giving up a portion of your lunch hour um, to listen to poems. Um, I'm going to read a you know, a poem or two from, or three from some earlier books and then end with some poems from the Selvage. This first one, in fact, is dedicated to the wonderful scholar um, for whom my professorship is named, uh, Caroline Walker Bynum, um, who's, anyway, enough on that, but it's called The Resurrection of the Body. She must have been 13 or so, her nascent breasts just showing above the Velcro strap that held her in her chair, her face translucent, beautiful, as if a cheekbone might directly render a tranquil heart, and yet the eyes were all disquietude. The mother, with her miraculous smile, frequent, durable, lifted the handkerchief, you know the way a woman will, her index finger guiding a corner, the body of it gathered in her dexterous palm, and with such tenderness wiped the spittle pooling at her daughter's mouth. The faint, warm smell of lipstick, remember, freighted with love, and with that distillate left by fear, when fear's been long outdone by fearful fact, the mother would give her soul to see this child lift her head on her own. And down the hall in orthotics, I couldn't for the longest time understand why the boy required a helmet so complexly fitted and strong. His legs were unused, his arms so thin. Um, Treadmill, I thought, or a bicycle maybe, some bold new stage of therapy. Anyway, sometimes he falls and, safe in his helmet, can bravely get to work again. It wasn't for nothing that I was so slow. Who cannot read these waiting rooms has so far, exactly so far, been spared. It was only while I was driving home, my daughter in her car seat with her brand new brace, that I thought of the boy's rhythmic rocking and knew. Green light, yellow, the tide of pedestrians flush and smooth, and the boy's poor head against the wall. How could I miss it? And what does God in his heaven do then? The boy's poor head in its bright red helmet knocking, listen, to be let in. There was a figure, um, more than one, actually, um, in the medieval mystery plays, which generally told Bible stories and ended with um, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Um, The... um, 
the performers of these mystery plays felt um, reasonably enough that some comic relief was called for. So there were a few figures who would be um, uh, figures of comedy. And one of them was traditionally Noah's wife. And um, so you'll hear about her in this poem. Um, It's called Noah's Wife. Noah's wife is doing her usual for comic relief. She doesn't see why she should get on the boat, etc., etc., while life as we know it hangs by a thread. Even God has had one or two great deadpan lines. Who told you? Thank you. This was back at the start. The teeth of the tautology had just snapped shut. Who told you you were naked? The world was so new that death hadn't been till this minute required. What makes you think the ground withers under their feet? We were told. The woman's disobedience is good for plot, as also for restoring plot to human scale. 300 cubits by 50 by what? What's that in inches exactly? Whereas the obstinate wife is common coin. In the beginning was nothing, and then a flaw in the nothing, a sort of mistake that amplified the nothing mistranscribed. It takes such discipline to keep the prospect clean, and now the lion whelps, the beetle rolls its ball of dung, and Noah, with no more than a primitive double-entry audit, is supposed to make it right. We find the creator in an awkward bind, washed back to oblivion. Think again. The housewife at her laundry tub has got a better grip, which may be why we've tried to find her laughable. She's such an unhappy reminder of what understanding costs. Ask the boy, who cannot Though God knows he's tried, he swears each bar of melting soap will be his last, who cannot turn the water off when once he's turned it on. His hands are raw. His body seems like filth to him. Who told you? The pharmacopoeia has changed. The melody's still the same. Who told you you were food for worms? What makes you think the furrow, the fruit? I had to be told. Um, And I didn't quite realize I was doing this. This will make you imagine that um, I have a special soft place in my heart for affliction among the young. (laughs) I didn't quite realize. So this, but but it gets more cheerful, I think, um, a little... Later on, um, this is called Prodigal, um, and it's it's about and dedicated to my wonderful niece Rebecca. Uh, it's about a time when she was going through a rather hard time. However, um, uh, so um, yes, um, Prodigal Copper and ginger, the plentiful mass of it bound, half-loosed, 
and bound again in lavish disregard as though such heaping up were a thing indifferent. Surfeit from the table of the gods who do not give a thought to fairness, no, who throw their bounty in a single lap. The chipped enamel blue on her nails, the lashes sticky with sunlight, You would swear she hadn't a thought in her head except for her buttermilk waffle and its just proportion of jam. But while she laughs and chews, half singing with the lyrics on the radio, half shrugging out of her bathrobe in the kitchen warmth, she doesn't quite complete this last part. One of the sleeves, as though you'd swear she couldn't be bothered, still covers her arm which means you do not see the cuts. Girls of an age, 15, for example, still bearing the traces of when they were new, of when the breasts had not been thought of, when the troublesome cleft was smooth, are anchored on a fault line. It's a wonder they survive at all. This ginger-haired darling isn't one of my own, if own is ever the way to put it. But I've known her since her heart could still be seen at work beneath the fontanelles. Her skin was almost otherworldly. Touch so silken, it seemed another kind of sight, a subtler boundary than obtains for all the rest of us. Though... Ordinary mortals bear some remnant, too. Consider the loved one's fine-grained inner arm. And so it's there, from wrist to elbow, that she cuts. She takes her scissors to that perfect page. She's good. She isn't stupid. She can see that we who are children of plenty have no excuse for suffering. We should be ashamed, and so she is. And so she has produced this many-layered hieroglyphic, channels raw, half-healed, reopened before the healing gains momentum. She has taken for her copy text the very cogs and wheels of time, and as for her other body, says the plain song on the morning news, the hole in the ozone, the fish in the sea. You were thinking what, exactly? You were thinking a comfortable breakfast would help. I think I thought we'd deal with that tomorrow. Then you'll have to think again. Um, I'm going to read three poems from the Selvage. Um, the first uh, is, um, is an angry poem. I was once in this very, very privileged um, place where people were invited to come and do whatever they did um, for 
a month, and we were treated very royally. And um, one of the other people there whom I admired and whose work I admired a great, great deal um, was liked to um, sort of spout contempt for the naivete of the rest of humanity at the dinner table. And I got a little tired. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, this was, um, anyway, among the things he had contempt for were all the sort of terribly narrow throwback forms of um, collective um, faith, you know, amongst humankind, which he just saw as benighted. So this poem begins um, <clears throat> in counter-argument. It's called Her Argument for the Existence of God. This one, then. The doctor, who, of course, possesses a foreign name, thus gathering all our, what shall we call them, our powers of foreboding in a single sordid corner of the morning news, contrived to miss the following. Eight fractured ribs, three missing fingertips, infected tissue, torn and partly healed again between the upper lip and gum, and this you have to use your Sunday finest to imagine a broken back, third lumbar, which had all but severed the spinal cord, leaving him floppy, or so the coroner later determined below the waist. Now granted, she might not have thought to expect a wailing one-and-a-half-year-old to toddle obligingly over the tiles, nor felt she had the leisure to apply her little mallet just below the knee. We see that, but we are not talking nuance here. The tooth he had swallowed. So hard had been the blow to his face. Of course, she had no inkling that would take some sort of psychic or an MRI. But ulcerated lesions on the scalp and ears. I tell you, if I hear once more how the underage mother's underage boyfriend suffered a difficult childhood himself, I'll start to wreck the furniture. When I'm allowed to run the world, you'll have to get a license just to take the course on parenting, and everyone will fail it, and good riddance will die out. <laughs> but in the meantime, which is where we're always stranded, and ignoring consolation, which is laughable, what's to be made of the sheer bad fit? The reigning brilliance of the genome and the risen moon. The cell wall, whose electric charge forms now a channel, now a subtle barrier no modulating thought has thought to equal. The arachnid's exoskeleton the kestrel's eye. And we, who might have been worthy, but for reasons forever withheld from us, aren't. Wouldn't you rather be damned for cause? I love you. I love it when you laugh at the right parts. That's just so grand. You just keep doing that. That's so good. Um, I'm going to read... One of these sequences in this book is a sequence in the voice of Dido, Queen of Carthage. It's called Dido Refuses to Speak, and that is based on a moment when Aeneas, who has abandoned her and caused her death, 
um, discovers her in the underworld and starts to um, explain that he didn't really mean all this harm. And uh, she turns away and refuses to speak. I'm going to read... So so the story of Dido, so when she's abandoned by Aeneas, she kills herself with his sword and throws herself on a burning pyre, and as he's... um, as he's sort of sailing away to his larger mission, which is the founding of Rome as New Troy, um, he sees that smoke but isn't entirely sure he knows what it, what it is. Um, and uh, I'm going to read um, three sections. She also, Dido, who is cast often as the um, the sort of guilty conscience of empire, the sort of the discard that empire just requires, collateral damage, um, was also um, a founder herself. I mean, she founded the city of Carthage on the North African coast and through a bit of chicanery actually got her hands on a lot more land than the seller thought he was bargaining for. Okay, so Dido refuses to speak one. The four stays, the stern sheets, the benches, the yard, the wooden pins to which the oars are bound with strips of leather, he explained this, thole and loom. I thought the words were just as lovely as the workings. And I thought I knew the principle, the moving forward facing where you've been, the muscled quarrel, with the muscled sea, like love, that sweet againstness, and the linen sail, happy the weaver whose work might bedeck the chamber where we lay us down. How strange it seems from just a little distance, the living tree, the axe, the chisel cattle whom we kill and skin, all so that they may live again on water, but including us. Two. Because she'd never not been there, my Anna. I can feel her now, the back of her hand as I hold it against my eyelid. I have always loved to touch with eyes. Because her voice was all the traction I'd ever required. Because so long as earth contained precisely that measure of temple to eyebrow, eyebrow to lip, I knew I had a home. It was my sister I made to make the thing ready. The firewood in its lofty escarpment, the torches the oil. And she, of course, when she asked me what I meant to do to whom I lied, I meant my bitter heart to foul the wind that filled his sails. I did not ask what if the wind should change direction who would choke. Four. Once, in a narrow garden, I encountered a thing I'd known before, a scent. I had no words for it. 
not citron, though it bore that solvent aptitude, not anise, though it harbored a touch of clay, a fragrance I had known as in another life, or this life, but before the daily watering down, which left me half-transported on an undistinguished plot of ground. So think what it meant when he began to speak. The story we'd stowed as ballast on the fleeing ships, had painted on our temple walls the very lights and darks we had depended on to make the place less strange and on a stranger's lips. To whom the story properly belonged, or he to it, is there a difference? And poor Dido, mere excursus for them both. The last poem I'm going to read is um, in four parts. It um, is called Still Life. And um, you have to remember that title, Still Life, because it's got still lives, the, 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 the visual genre, especially those gorgeous Netherlandish still lives of the 19th century, of uh, the 17th century, those. It's got those in mind. It kind of makes up an invented one, but, that's, but we don't get there. In the, yet in the first three sections. The first one is um, uh, its, it's, it's uh, occasion was, was a news photograph I saw uh, once, um, and you'll hear what that's about. The second, um, the, the, the incitement to, to that, uh, they're all trying to think through a single problem, but, but from different angles. The second section um, is based on a scene in, in a movie you may know, in um, Schindler's List, and it's when the, um, the Jewish ghetto is being cleared in, um, in Prague, and uh, Schindler is watching it from a hilltop, and, and, and the almond, it finally begins to dawn on him what's going on um, uh, under the Nazis. Uh, the third section is... Um, has an autobiographical um, start, and uh, and then we get the still life. So, one. His ears, his mouth, his nostrils having filled with ash, his cheekbones, chin, all ash, and on the ash a tide of sea rack that cannot be right, a trail of scum or vomit then, and either his shoulders been crushed by the blast or angled on the stretcher so oddly that raising his arm to ward us off, he seems to be more damaged than he is, and eyes that should have cracked the camera. This was not... The current nightmare, this was two or three nightmares ago. The men were loading plums and peaches onto trucks at car. And though in my lucky and ignorant life, I have never so much as encountered the scent of explosives. I had taken a different bus that day, 
The city I live in is thicker with doctors than all of Baca is thick with bombs. I've seen those eyes before, exactly. Failures of decency closer to home. Two. The clearing of the ghetto. Red wool. And falsely brightened since we need the help. Sorry. A child. Because the chambers of the heart will hold so little. If the filmmaker, having apprenticed in fables proposes a scale for which he hopes we're apt. And if this bigger than a bread box, slightly smaller than the microwave, is just about the vista we can manage, let's agree to call it history. Let's imagine we had somehow seen its face in time. But where in all of Krokov is the mother who buttoned her coat? A city steeped in harm to come, the film stock drained to gray. The sturdy threading forward of a child who might be panicked by the crowd, but has her mind now on a hiding place. Our childlike conviction that she shall be spared. Mistake that brings the lesson home. We lack retention chalk mark on a clouded screen. Three. But what was it like, his dying? It was like a distillation. You had morphine. We had morphine, but we couldn't use the bed. The bed. His lungs were so thickened with tumors and phlegm he had no way of breathing there. You'd rented the bed. He climbed down beside it and asked for his tools. When something was broken, he fixed it. That had always been the way with him. So then we left him in his chair. But as the day went on, we thought he needed bedding, so we tried to lift him. That's the once he blamed us. That's the look you meant. The why can't you people just leave me alone? The where is your sense of shame? I will remember it until I die myself. You meant well. Meaning well was not enough. We meant that he should know this wasn't lost on us. The urn that holds his ashes does a better job. Four. Sister Partridge. Brother Hare. The linen on the table with its hemstitch. I have read the books on pridefulness. The bounty of game park and sideboard and loom. The ship's that brought the lemon trees, the leisure that masters the view. 
But I have come to think the argument by likeness makes a simpler point. The lemon, for example, where the knife has been, the pores, the pith, the luminescent heart of it, each differential boundary bound to open, meaning death, of course, the unprotected flesh about to turn, but just before the turn, while looking can still be an act of praise. I see you in the mirror every morning where you wait for me. The linen, father, lemon, knife, the pewter with its lovely reluctance to shine, as though the given world had given us a second chance. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.